Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in to Dose of Leadership, another episode brought to you and sponsored by Equity Bank. We focus on entrepreneurship and leadership. Today on the show, Guy Gazelle, the president and chief executive producer of Field Station Dinosaurs. Dinosaur Park, that one is in New Jersey and one here in Wichita, Kansas. So much fun to have Guy on the show. He's an adventurer, a teacher, a lifelong dinosaur lover. He's produced educationally themed theater, live events, and exhibits in a career that spans, gosh, over 30 years. And he's been the founding director of Discovery Times Square in Manhattan. He's created and uh, sold out workshops, programming of the famous King Tut, Tut exhibit, Titanic, Da Vinci's Workshop. And what I love about Guy is he's, uh, you know, he's pretty much been in the theater, the arts, production, nonprofit world. And one day he was driving home and he had this calling, if you will. And he thought about creating this dinosaur park and he took the leap. And what's important, I think this is why this conversation is so fun, is particularly those out there, you're, maybe you're in a job, maybe you're not an entrepreneur, maybe you're somewhere and you have this dream, this calling, this nudging. And I'm a big believer of this, that if you get this nudging, um, you need to listen to it, you need to pay attention to it. And if it makes you sick to your stomach, the butterflies, everything else, that's probably the barometer telling you that you should pursue this because something significant is going to happen on the other side. And Guy Gazelle is living proof. You'll hear all about it in this conversation. Uh, I just love his his enthusiasm, his indomitable spirit, if you will, coupled with his humble, teachable spirit, which I think, and you've heard me say on this show time and time again, I think that is the key to leading a significant life, to be an, ex- an effective leader. Combine an indomitable spirit, that intensity, with something that you're passionate about, with a humble, teachable spirit, and you're unstoppable. And Guy is a perfect example. You'll love this conversation. As I know, I did. It's so much fun. And it's so much fun that Equity Bank, I'm so appreciative that they're bringing me these guests. They're sponsoring this show. It's uh, brought new life for me uh, in the interviewing. A lot of these I do face-to-face, and it's just so much been so much fun. I hope you're getting some value out of it. And I appreciate Equity Bank sponsoring this series. They've been great supporters of me and this show, as I'm a supporter of them. Equity Bank is a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. They're very passionate about about the entrepreneur, the individual, the free enterprise. It's been exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. They're now listed on the NASDAQ exchange and has locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. And I believe that clearly this is a team, Equity Bank, they know how to lead for growth. And I'm telling you, if you feel like your bank, your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, I want you to work with a bank that really understands your needs. I want you to check out my friends at Equity Bank. Go check them out at equitybank.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you to Equity Bank for sponsoring the show. Now let's join our conversation with Guy Gazelle, the president and chief executive producer of Field Station Dinosaurs here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Guy, welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. It's great to be here. And my curiosity's peaked. I have so many questions. First and foremost, uh, I'm when I was a kid, I was a I guess every boy goes through a kind of – like girls go through a horse phase. I think little boys go through dinosaur phases maybe, right? I was like a dinosaur fanatic. I was a freak about dinosaurs. Now we see more and more girls yeah. who are into the dinosaurs. In fact, yeah. one of the most popular web series now is 
Dino Dana. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I have seen that. It have dinosaurs ever? They've never really gone out of fashion, have they? They just always are consistently popular. Yeah. When I was putting my business plan together, uh, and I was going out to investors trying to convince them to invest in a dinosaur park, which is not <laughs> something that exists, you know, really, and. What I had to sell was the popularity of dinosaurs. Yeah. And that the dinosaurs have been popular. So they first sparked the imagination. You know, in the 1880s, there were lines around the block right. uh, to see the first dinosaurs in, in London and in Philadelphia. The, the biggest blockbuster movie of the, of the 19 teens was, was Gertie the Dinosaur, which is a, which is a cartoon. You know, and the biggest blockbuster movie of 2018 was Jurassic World 3. I mean, it's just has never, has never, never gone never down. Right. Why the fa- – I mean, I guess I guess it's intuitive why we're so fascinated with them because they seem so unreal, I guess. But w- what do you think the fascination is around? I think that they seem unreal, but they were real. I know. And that's the fascination. And that's what kids love about them uh, because – at an age where more and more things are taken away from kids. So there is no Santa Claus. There is no Tooth Fairy. There is no Easter Bunny. There is no Abominable Snowman. But there is this. They yeah. were real. We never take the dinosaurs away from the kids. Yeah. And the other thing that I think that it really resonates with children is they have a shaky sense of time. A few days, in a while... Two years ago, 17 million years ago, that's all the same to a little kid. (laughs) But when you tell them, they lived right here. Yeah. So here in Derby, we have a, you know, a Tylosaurus, which is the kind of dinosaurs that's actually marine reptile that lived right here in Kansas. Yeah. And when you tell them they lived here, right where you are, that really resonates with kids. They're like, oh, this giant thing was here. Yeah. And that, I think, is what's, what's You know, exciting. that's interesting you said that because I think back to that when I was that age, you know, eight, nine, when I was just so – every time I went to the library, I was picking a book. I was doing – learning everything I could about it, and this is in the 70s. And I, when I found out that these lived here, and I remember going to one of the, the – the, I guess it was called the Omnisphere here at the time. It was used to be the old original library, and they had, you know, those fossils of this marine animal lived here. You know, and I'm like, what? You know, this was an ocean. Yep. It's just fascinating. That's, that's interesting that you put it that way. Yeah. How? How did? Okay, so how did all of this start? So were you fascinated with dinosaurs as a kid? Yeah, I was. I uh, my really earliest earliest memory was going to the New York World's Fair oh, uh, yeah. in the in the 1965. The World's Fair ran two years, but I only remember 1965. Too little for 64. And they had the the very famous Sinclair. Yeah dinosaur exhibit and i remember that exhibit and being really fascinated with with that and you know my first my favorite book when i was a kid was danny and the dinosaur that yeah. whole dinosaur yeah. kids still read that book yeah. which makes me very happy and if i go anywhere and i say how many of you have read this book all the kids raise their yeah. hands yes. um so yes now i did not stay a dinosaur Fanatic. I mean, there was something from my childhood that that I remembered fondly. I certainly liked dinosaurs. When I had kids of my own, taking them to the American Museum of Natural History to see the dinosaur bones uh, was, you know, a big highlight of of being a dad 
for kids that age. Uh, but I came back to the dinosaurs really when I started working in the exhibit business. And so how did we get involved in the exhibit business? I mean, that, were you kind of a uh, looking at your background? Were you into like drama, theater, acting? That was kind of what you thought your dream, your path was going to be. Yeah. So I worked in the theater my my whole career mm-hmm. uh, as a playwright, as a stage manager. I did I did some acting. Uh, I became the managing director of a theater company. I mean, I sort of worked my way up. I was mm-hmm. what you would call a theater generalist. And uh, so I was working at a theater in Red Bank, New Jersey, and we uh, did a capital campaign and we built a brand new theater. And what happened is that caught the attention of some New York theater producers. They were developing an exhibit hall in the old New York Times building in Times Square. And because I had years of theater experience, and I had just built a brand new building. I had just done exactly what they wanted to do and almost built from scratch a, an organization. Uh, they hired me to come in and develop, and I was the original director of Discovery Times Square. So that's how I got into the exhibit business. Guys in the theater were going into the exhibit business, and they hired a guy from the theater to go into the exhi- exhibit business with them. And it was in the exhibit business, and we did King Tut and Titanic, Harry Potter. We did the, the largest touring exhibits uh, that, are, that are currently out there. And in the exhibit business, we were constantly doing testing, trying to figure out what, what exhibit to bring in next. And dinosaurs always scored the highest. Every, every time we did any kind of Nielsen testing, audience testing, uh, dinosaurs came in as the thing that was going to be the most popular. And it wasn't appropriate. We had fairly low ceilings, nothing big enough to bring in a a giant dinosaur. Uh, We were doing uh, more high-end shows like King Tut. We did the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, The producers didn't think that animatronic dinosaurs really was a good match with the Dead Sea Scrolls. (laughs) So I got the idea then. I said, you know, I should – somebody should go out there and do an outdoor animatronic dinosaur exhibit – in New Jersey, and it sort of hit me that I was actually the most qualified person to do that. So, in what way? Why? Why did? Well, you I had the ex- exhibit experience. I grew up in North Jersey, just outside of New York City, so I knew the the area. I knew exactly what would happen. I had just built a, an exhibit hall. I had just built a theater, so I had a lot of experience you know, launching things and building things. Um, so I quit my job. <laughs> wow. So let's start, hang on. So the, that nudging that you got, you say, okay, I'm going to, we need to put this dinosaur park in New Jersey. It came to you in, in a dream, an epiphany, a calling, it, on something. A, on a train. On a train, <laughs> right? Uh, so, wait, so what, if, if you had to look back in retrospect and evaluate, why this calling, do you think? Is it because you like the excitement of creating an exhibit? Do you like the educational aspect of it? Do you like, what is it? Uh, So I spent 12 of my years in theater. I spent working in children's theater, uh, touring internationally with a theater company called the Paper Bag Players. So teaching kids, entertaining kids, that is something that 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 I really right. like and and understand, so that aspect of it is very exciting to me. Um, 
And that's what we do there. I mean, in addition to animatronic dinosaurs, we have over 40 live games and shows and activities mm -hmm. that kids participate in. So it's, I really did take my, my years as a theater artist and combine that with my experience in the exhibit business and my experience in, in administration and, and, uh, and management. And I said, I'm just going to put these all together and... I'm just going to start this dinosaur park. So sitting on the train, you felt this was a purpose, a calling. It was so strong that you immediately quit your job, or is this something that you ruminated and marinated over for quite a while? So I um, am not a fool, <laughs> so I didn't just quit my job. Right. I uh, Because I had been working in the theater and had done a, a capital campaign, I knew a number of people who were uh, both philanthropists, but I also knew a number of people who had, had done some investing in theater, uh, had done in investing in Broadway shows. Uh, and I went to them and I said to, to this my, my business partners, now my business partners, then my prospective business partners, and I explained to them the, the allure of dinosaurs and why I thought this would work. And I said, I need some seed money first. And the seed money was enough for me to quit my job and to f scout out locations and try to secure a location for the park and to find out more about the business of dinosaur parks because they exist. They're not, they're not right. as big in North America. They're much bigger in Asia and there are many more in Europe than, than here. And to find where I would find these animatronic dinosaurs and what they would cost and sort of get a business plan together. So those investors said, yes, we, we are excited by this. We think this is great. Uh, we see the good work you've done at the, at the Two River Theater in Red Bank. We have confidence that this would be a good thing. And the, then we had triggers. You know, if I, if I accomplished all those things, that would trigger the, the investment. And that's what happened. I found a, a location at the very – literally the first – train station outside of New York City in New Jersey, there was this fluky, wild, county-owned piece of property. And I found out where to get the dinosaurs and put together a business plan, and that triggered the, the full investment. So, And then from the time I had that idea on the train that I think I would like to do this and try to start a dinosaur park, to the day that the dinosaur park opened for the public was 19 months. Wow, that's impressive. Did you realize that you were officially become an entrepreneur at that point? Did you had you always been a fan of entrepreneurship? Say I my I I'm so tired of working for people. I want to be an entrepreneur? No. So this, <laughs> this was just it was you were answering a calling. Yeah. I love that. 19 months. And so Obviously, looking back on that, that's an, a major ac accomplishment. Did you realize you were – it, did it just happen or were you like, I'm going to do this as quick as I can? You know what I mean? Were you like nose to the grindstone, intensity, drive, 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 or it just kind of – you were following your, your, your gut and your passions? No, it was definitely an intense period to get the park yeah. open. Uh, I had um, – you know what? Here's what happens. You're going to run out of money. Yeah. You know what? So, right. Your back's against the wall. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you, you, I had yeah. a certain amount of money and I sort of had to get the park open by then. If I didn't start making money, yeah, I was just going to run out of money. I mean, that's uh, 
So that's I think that anybody who gets sort of sort of upfront capital and they have this this now this, it's real. this amount of capital and this is how much money you have and you're expected to spend that much money and then start making money. Yeah. And no investor wants the not making money period to be longer and longer and longer. <laughs> they want the making money right. period to to get there faster. Right. So, and and also it's a seasonal business. And yeah, so you, you know, only got so, so many so many times of the year that you're yeah. going to make the bulk of your cash. Yeah. So right? if I didn't open by Memorial Day in New Jersey, which is when uh, right. the beginning of sort of the the summer season, uh, I would be losing, you know, a lot of of money. Actually, I think I opened the end of school that year. I don't remember now. Uh, but whatever it is, it's, and even in here in Kansas, I had to be open by the by the time school let out because it's not like if I open three months late. Well, that's school's back in session. There's right. no, that's not the the high period. So you have to. I had to open. Yeah. I had some hard deadlines. Do you? How do you respond to that? Is are you someone that thrives on that pressure, or were you taken aback by that pressure when you were in it? So I had just done two other building projects that yeah. had hard Similar, deadlines right? and yeah, yeah. and tight budgets. So I can't. So if somebody had told you know Guy Gazelle. 12 years ago who was a managing director of a not-for-profit theater that was renting a movie theater that where we did our shows and we did f- only four shows a year and they said oh by the way what you're going to do now for the next uh, two decades of your life is major stressful projects where you're going <laughs> to I would have said no I'm not going to sign up for that you're right. out of your mind right. uh, so I'm not a person who – I can't say I'm a person who thrives on it. I think there are people who thrive yeah, they, on they it. Yeah, they seek it almost, um, right? Yeah. Uh, but I am somebody who it ended up I, – I found it within myself to be up for that challenge. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, Right and not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest-growing banks, by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Yeah, because you're looking at the objective. Right, because the objective um, is your your desire. Right. This is where I want to be. And you realize that the price to pay is going to be this, and you're willing to deal with it. But for you, it's not the thrill of that. It's the objective of whatever, opening yeah. this park because your passion is educating kids, creating new experience, the whole art. I'm supposed to tap it into a lot of things, the artistic side of you, the theater side of you, right? Yeah. The education, the helping the kids, doing something different new. But now, 
are you finding that this pursuit of profit, which is probably something that this is the first time you, you, you're into that. I mean, you're in these nonprofit. Now you're going into the profit center world. What was that like? Was that eye-opening? Was it something that you were prepared for? What? Tell me a little bit about that. So I still am very much in a not-for-profit sort of operation uh, mindset. You know, I'm very mission-driven. I want the programs to be delivered properly to the kids. And I right. want them to learn. And my biggest customers uh, as a individual group are teachers, you know, and, yeah, so, and yeah, who I'm are selling you. classroom tickets. So in a lot of ways, my day-to-day life feels very much like I'm running a not-for-profit uh, half the time. <laughs> the other half of the time, I live in QuickBooks in a way that I never did when I ran not-for-profits. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a real different mindset in budgeting in a not-for-profit and in a for-profit. Yeah. In a not-for-profit, you just want a balanced budget. And and you don't really look at every single line. You just sort of say, oh, we're going to balance. We just the balance the budget. That's really what you want to do is just balance, balance, balance. And – in a for-profit, you don't want a balanced budget. A balanced budget doesn't return any money to anybody. <laughs> right. now so you're, now what you're you, treating nickels like manhole covers. You right? have yeah. to look at yeah. every line and say, you know, so, you know, here it is, January one, and we had a budget of uh, eight thousand dollars for education materials. And stage management is very happy because they're on budget. Like, oh, look, we've only spent six thousand, and we have four months left, and we're going to be on budget. In the not-for-profit world, that would be like, good job. And in the for-profit <laughs> world, it's going to be like, okay, so revenue is down and you have to spend actually no more money for the rest of the year and make whatever you have due. That's the difference between a yeah. profit and a, and a not-for-profit. And how did you deal with that? Was it was it eye-opening, shocking? What was it for you? It, it, causes, it really makes you be creative. Yeah. And – and that's one of the lessons I would take with me. If I went back to the not-for-profit world, I'd say we have to be a lot more creative. We can't just say this is $6,000 is $6,000 because that's not looking at it right. Looking at it properly, it's how can we deliver the best thing that we want to deliver for the least amount of money? Not can we deliver $8,000 worth of. Yeah. It's can we get that number down and still have the good the good product because yeah. no, there's nobody's looking at it and it's, i i don't think they have to in the in the not-for-profit world nobody has to look at it like that yeah because there's a development department and if the artistic director says i want to spend sixty thousand dollars more on this show than what we budgeted he goes to the development department and says go out and get me sixty thousand dollars from members of the community who will support this work right and they just – they go out and if they're a good development department, they get the artistic director $60,000 extra. Well, I don't have you know, <laughs> right. that right, option. Exactly. Uh, so we have to be creative. So yeah. in the in the not-for-profit world, they go out and get the artistic director $60,000. And in the for-profit world, we say, no, we love your idea. We think what you want to do is great. Do it for the amount of money that you have. Find the way. Find you know, a way to do it. And, of course, the challenge then is that you have these great ideas and you want to do them and then you have to find the way to do them. And it's that's 
the challenge, but I'm a puzzle guy. So that's always I, – I go into everything in the same way that I would approach a crossword puzzle. I say, OK, there's a solution to this. Yeah. And I just have to find what that is. See, I think that's critical. I think that's important. I think when you look at entrepreneurs, leaders, problem solvers, they – you know, it is subtly the difference between, you know, you start asking the question, well, how every challenge, how can I, right? Instead of like, man, there's no way I'm going to, you know, you're looking at it as an impossibility. You're always going, well, how can I, how can I, how can I? And that's a difference, right? I mean, it's a mindset shift, really. Yes. There's no difference between just how we look at it. Yep. And you go into, you go into, like you said, crosswood puzzle solving mode. Which I think is critical. I mean, that's a that's a leadership trait that I don't think that inquisitiveness and curiosity. I don't know if you can teach somebody that. It's a choice, I think, right? That someone has to. I have to be curious about this. I think there are people who like puzzles, and there are people who don't like puzzles at all. Yeah, I think that's just true. Yeah, and and, uh, and I like a puzzle. That's good. And do you realize you see that as a strength, right? I'm assuming. I do, because because what a crossword puzzle does is it it forces you to keep at it until you solve it right you know i just i don't leave a crossword puzzle undone it just drives me nuts to leave it undone yeah uh so i have new york times crossword puzzles kicking around the house and i pick them up i'm like i'm gonna finish this one what's going on i find of course that puzzles that are impossible to do at nine o'clock at night when i wake up in the morning and they're like oh how did i miss all this (laughs) uh i don't know my years in children's theater have made me a real morning person. Um, yeah, so I think that that's true. That puzzle solving is is and and that that belief mm. that there's a solution. Yeah, the faith part of it, right? Yeah, that you, these you spend the belief that you just you don't know how it's going to get done. You just know it's going to get done. Yeah. It's kind of like the same thing when the crossword puzzle that's kicking your butt, at, you know, one in the morning, and you I'll put it down. And I'll go tomorrow, whatever. Right? Yeah. You just you know it's going to get done. You don't know how, but and, you're going to figure it out. And also, as doing all these construction projects, uh, I have met many, many, and worked with many engineers now. And, and I had no, never worked with an engineer. Right. And and I've sort of seen what that mindset is, and that's mm-hmm. very much, well, we can solve this. Yeah. I mean, there's really nothing in a in in a way in the construction world. There's nothing that can't be engineered. You might not be able to afford exactly the engineering, but the engineers can pretty much solve yeah. anything, right? And and do you know? But and and that's that's sort of it's like okay, because I went into it, and every time any kind of engineering problem presented itself, I would panic because I I yeah. would see no solution to that at all. Oh, it's flooding. Oh well. And it's like, well, no, there's engineers who can solve the problem of the flooding. It's not, you know, I'm always ready to throw in the towel every right. time there was any kind of thing. And the engineers would just come in and say, no, we can solve that. We'll yeah. just redirect this and we'll draw this online and we'll put a pipe here and and the problem is solved. So that also seeing that problems that for me seemed insurmountable are not. And yeah. I saw that. Uh, so I continue just constantly looking at insurmountable problems and then figuring out how how I can solve them. That's the life of a guy. That's my life. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, it's, it's, it's always a right. Anything that you do, I think a leadership entrepreneur, any yeah. 
thing that you're you're put into a position you're faced with these seemingly insurmountable challenges right and i think that's the difference maker between a successful entrepreneur or leader is that they just don't quit right they find that so and so it's, it sounds like it was a a learning maturation process for you or discovery anyway when you went down this path that that was something that you you definitely learned or changed your your mindset shift changed yep. when you were faced with the insurmountable okay i'm going to throw it in and fortunately you must have been around an engineer or somebody said <laughs> no let's talk to dave over here he can yeah, do it's, anything they, right? it's amazing what engineers can yeah, do yeah exactly it's really remarkable if i would have asked you before when did the the new 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 Jersey Park Open. What year was 2012. that? 2012. So in 2010, before, if I would have said, Guy, you're a leader and you're an entrepreneur, what would you have said? I would have said certainly at that point I had had I was a leader. That was for you sure. You saw the leadership side um, of yourself. Because I had point. been the managing director of a theater and I had been the mm-hmm. uh the director of Discovery Times Square, and I led large projects and delivered them on time and on budget. I would say uh, almost reluctantly, I would say, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I guess I'm a leader. That's that's for sure. I had enough objective feedback from the world telling me that That I was a leader. Right. Uh, um, But I certainly would not have said I was an entrepreneur. Yeah. And you didn't have – like you weren't the kid – you know, when you were nine years old, you know, picking posies and daisies in your red wagon and going and selling them door to door in May Day, right? No. Nope. So, yeah. Yeah. So I love that. The reason why I put it that way is because I sometimes, so many times I've met owners of business and entrepreneurs and like, yeah, I was destined. I knew this and that. And I, that's why I love your stories because you kind of, again, you, I go back to that calling on the train and you decided to take the leap. Why did you decide to take the leap, do you think? I mean, why did you, feel for one split second fearless enough to take the step? I think that – so every once in a while you have to take a step back and look objectively. So And and so I, when you, I did that, I said – like I said, I said I, I'm the most qualified person to do that. Yeah. Just objectively looking at what I was had in my mind and – the experience that I, I had just had, I truly was, just objectively speaking, very qualified to do it. And I sort of just dispassionately made that decision that that it was me. It yeah, was me. it was like a logic question. It really wasn't right. a, a, uh, an emotional question. It was more logic. Yeah. And then – and I think that by taking that step back and looking at it objectively, I took a lot of the fear out of it because it, it wasn't like, I want to open up a dinosaur park – and I don't know what that is, and I don't know how to do that. That would have been scary. Like that would be like you if, had you, it if you mind. had the yeah. dream and and you said, I'm going to seek my dream. What happened to me is I sort of had the dream, and then I was able to look very logically and say, you knew I can what it was gonna look do like. this. Yeah, I've right. done this. Right. I've done everything that's involved in building this dinosaur park. I've done. So I just have to put it all together. And, and make it work and put together a good team. Obviously, it's, I didn't do it by myself. I wasn't myself in an office for right. 19 months. Yeah. Uh, and I was able to actually uh, – and I think a lot of people do this. I went back in my career and I said, who are the people who I think would be great to work with me? So I went back to a, 
guy from who had been a director of finance with me, and I brought him as my business manager, and I brought in somebody I worked with in the theater as my operations person, mm-hmm. and I put a team together that I knew well, I had worked with them all, so I knew they were like-minded people, and uh, and we we did it together. So mm-hmm. that's if you want to say that's the leadership of of yeah. what I do. That's the leadership. I know I I mentor people. I bring them in. Uh, and I and I know, you know, that I can work with a with a good group of people and keep yeah. them on task and keep them moving. Because, you know, if I had one 18 months, 19 months, if I had, you know, one wheel falls off, one flat tire, that's yeah, it. That's the, it the, right. the race is over. How do you you look at now at, at Guy Gazelle in 2019 as opposed to Guy Gazelle in 2012 when they first opened? What, what, what do you when you look at yourself objectively? What are you most impressed with? How how you've changed and what is that change? Oh boy, what am I most impressed with? Um, the uh, the fact that I've been as resilient as I mm. have been that because uh, it's been it's been very rough. There have been some very I mean I lost my lease mm-hmm. uh, and in uh, we were closing with without without knowing where we were going. I had to pack up my entire theme park into shipping containers and store them in a parking lot. What? Not knowing where I was going to open the very next season. And that's one of those things where in the time I was just doing it. Okay, let's – we're just going to pack this up and – Solving the crossword puzzle. And we'll yeah. – uh, so – you know that time and time again, I think it is. You know, any sensible person would have said, "Oh, lost the lease. Let's just sell the dinosaurs and move on to the <laughs> right. next thing." Right. And uh, no, I you know packed them into shipping containers, took them apart. Didn't know how to. We didn't. You know, we didn't know how to take them apart. But like, brought the crew in and said, "We're gonna." Look at pictures of when they were put together and figure out how to take them apart and <laughs> put them in the shipping containers. And then we we did find a, a new location. And the next year, we put them all back together again. This is in Jersey? In New Jersey, yeah. yeah. So what prompted you to – okay, Jersey to Derby, Kansas is a big stretch. What prompted the – So here in Kansas, they have a the Star Bond program, which developers can qualify for a bond – if part of their development is a regional tourist attraction uh, and a developer wanted to do a development in, in Derby and needed the tourist attraction. So he traveled all around the country looking at tourist attractions. In fact, I met him at, uh, at a conference of attractions. And he came to Field Station Dinosaurs in New Jersey and thought this would be a great attraction. I think this would be super in Kansas. And he approached me and said, would you be interested in doing this? And uh, and there's incentives for the attraction. I mean, there's uh, – and I looked at it and we sort of did a business plan and I came to Wichita and I really like Wichita. And Wichita is a good – it's a good place for a dinosaur attraction. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fairly well-educated people. It's very uh, – you know, there's a lot of engineers. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's a lot of uh, – it's just – it's – a lot of families. It just seemed like a very good market, and uh, so that's that's how I ended up in in Wichita. And we had to get approval from 
well, first of all, the city of Derby had to approve it, and then the state of Kansas had to had to approve it. So I had representatives from the from the Kansas uh, government, you know, flew from Topeka to to New Jersey and came to the dinosaur park, and they said, "Yeah, we can see that this this is a this is a, a regional tourist attraction," and that's how. Well, that's how it all happened. That's, that's how I ended up in Kansas. Yeah, I love this story. There's so many things I could e- explore with you on this. With the sake of time, though, I guess what what is next for you? What is it, what are you excited about with the dinosaur parks and any other projects you're working on? What's next? So now that we've done two, obviously the plan is let's try to do a third one and see what we've learned by doing two and see what we can do in a third. So when you're a not-for-profit and you and you say you're mission-driven, well, your goal is to provide your service to as many people as you possibly can. If you're UNICEF, you want to feed as many starving children as possible. Um, well, I want to educate as many kids as I possibly can. And if that means opening up one in Houston or Dallas or Denver or Santa Fe, New Mexico, you know, that's that's what I would explore. Now, because I opened in New York City first, uh, or I'm six miles away yeah, from Jersey, New York City, right? yeah. uh, I got a ton of attention. We were on Nightline. We've been on on all sorts of TV shows since then. Uh, we've been on Good Morning America and Fox and Friends. We've been a lot of national. And we were in um, the, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, which – Although they were covering us as sort of a local story, those are national publications. Sure. We were in, we were in on all of that, so we get a lot of calls. If if, if somebody is starting thinking about doing a dinosaur park, if someone's looking for, and, you know, we have a lot. We get a lot of calls from uh, retail developers uh, who, the you know, trying to find retail tenants. Not the easiest thing in the world right now. They're always looking for something new to do, uh, so we get a lot of calls from from different people. And now we sort of we take all those calls. We don't leave any stone unturned. unturned. Yeah. And so, uh, so that's what we're doing. We sort of travel around and meet people and see if this is a good fit for the dinosaur park, and then look at the lessons we learned from from Derby and say, okay, what are we going to do next time? What did we do right? And, what did we do wrong, and what can we can we learn from it? I think that one of the things that 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 I really push on on everybody and have since I was in the theater is this sense of taking the responsibility yourself. And I'll give you a quick example: in the theater when I was there, theater around the country, theater attendance was down, and attendance in our theater was down. And the artistic director of the theater at the time said, well, our attendance is down because attendance in theater around the country is down. And I said, that's like me saying I'm fat because the average American is getting fatter. <laughs> yeah. If we are going to, to say that the responsibility is on something we can't control, we're just going to lose. Yeah. We have to look at everything and say what are we doing and what can we do and what is our responsibility and that's you know yeah i mean we were hit by superstorm sandy yeah and yeah that's a that was a freak storm and it knocked over some dinosaurs but i was still like what 
did we do? Yeah. Well, we didn't secure those dinosaurs. Yeah. Well, that's what we did. You know, we can't control the storm is going to come, but all we can do is look at what we can do and what we did. So that's one of the things that we, I talk a lot about across both of my parks. I love that. And that's a great, that's a great point to end on. You're absolutely right. That person, that accountability, personal accountability as owners, as an entrepreneur, as a bit, what can we do? Right. Because the, the other mindset, like you said, just breeds kind of a, oh, well, and it breeds the mediocrity and the stagnation that, that we see so prevalent in everything. Yeah. Right. I love that. That is a great mind. And the difference, all it is is a difference in mindset shift. Yep. It's not got to get a new certification, got to get a new this or that. It's a mindset shift of taking that accountability. I love that. Guy, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for letting me explore your mindset and kind of your, your path and your journey. There's so much more we could explore, but we got to keep it to, to 30 to 40 minutes. So, and we're, we're bucking great. up again. That. I can't believe it's been that long. I know. I like it goes I just by quick. <laughs> thanks for, oh, how can people, we'll have links to this, but how can people get in touch with you and get in touch with the, uh, the dinosaur parks, both in Jersey and in Derby? So the best way is, uh, to, it's, Go to our website, and you can shoot me an email right from the website, which is fieldstationdinosaurs.com. And actually, that that's a landing page that gets you either to Kansas or to New Jersey, Perfect. depending on where you want to go. Well, I'm excited to see what happens over the next 5, 10 years. And uh, I, I love dinosaurs, and I've been to the park, and I, I love it. The kids love it, and they're getting a little older. If I was even younger, it would be even more fun yeah. for them. So go check them out. Guy, thanks for coming Thank on the show. You. I have links to all this at the post. If you check it out at doseofleadership.com, you can uh, connect directly with Guy. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series of Dose of Leadership brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Make sure you, to subscribe to Dose of Leadership where you can hear more great stories in this unique and special series. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a listen to all of my Dose of Leadership podcasts, all of my episodes, and see why Fortune, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine all recommend this as a must-listen. Dose of Leadership features candid conversations with amazing guests, leading high-performing experts and organizations, large and small, all over the world. Find Dose of Leadership on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and go ahead and visit doseofleadership.com where you can find out more information about the show, myself, my speaking engagements, my keynotes, live seminars, and my mastermind events. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.